My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. Well, as it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. It's pretty commonly assumed that Esther's son, if not by blood, at least like her husband's son, is the one who actually sent the command that people could go back home, all the way back to Jerusalem. And a bunch of people did. They went and they began to resettle the city of Jerusalem. However, word got back to the court that the walls were completely destroyed. The temple was in shambles. It was just a hot mess. And one of the servants in the court at that time was named Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. You might remember this from the story of Joseph, but being a cupbearer at this time was a big friggin' deal. You were the one who tried the wine before the king had it, and you were also the last person who had it before the king did, which means that the idea you would poison the wine was just preposterous. And so Nehemiah is kind of heartsick over what's happening back in Jerusalem, and the king notices and is like, hey man, what's up? And Nehemiah shoots up a quick prayer and is like, the walls in Jerusalem are just a terrible mess and I want to go and help, but I know I have my job here. And the king's like, no, don't worry about it. Go, go take care of Jerusalem. And then when you're done, you can come back. No big deal. And so Nehemiah goes and basically by rallying the people against naysayers, against bandits, against jerkheads, he gets the walls rebuilt. There are really two striking features of him getting the walls rebuilt. First off, he had everyone work on the wall right in front of their own house. So you weren't trying to build the whole wall of Jerusalem. You worked on what was right in front of you. The other thing is that everyone had to carry a sword because there were people constantly trying to get in the way and cause trouble. So Nehemiah was working on the construction project. Meanwhile, slash somewhat later, Ezra, a priest, started to kind of clean up the act in Judah. If this sounds familiar, this process of physical rebuilding coupled with spiritual rebuilding, it freaking should. God is still sending prophets to Judah and they are still struggle busting to listen. It's kind of the same old story as it's always been. And as we've seen already, this is not a people group that can handle consistency for a few hundred years. I should be clear, it's not a people group issue, it's a people as a group issue. People are bad at this kind of consistency. There needs to be a more permanent solution, not to Jerusalem's walls, but to Jerusalem's weaknesses. There has to be something bigger and better. And this is where we start to see the really big prophecies of a Messiah. As the walls are repaired and as everything comes back together, God speaks through one last prophet, Malachi. And Malachi reminds them of who they have been as a people, everything that has happened up till now. And he encourages the priesthood. He breaks up couples that have married cross-religions. And he once again foreshadows the coming of some sort of rescuer, a savior, a, dare I say it, messiah, who will once and for all save the people of Israel, the descendants of Jacob. That is ultimately the last thing we see in the Old Testament, that there's this hope that's coming and it isn't here yet. But in case anyone's forgotten everything that's happened in messy scripture, I think it's time to sum it up for you. That's right, we're doing a full Bible recap, well, full Old Testament recap. Y'all ready? Here we go. 
God created the earth in six days, and on the sixth day he created man. He breathed into man out of dust instead of talking man into existence like everything else. On the seventh day God rested, and then on the eighth day man started to get to work, but he was lonely, so God created woman. And women and man fell into sin because the serpent, Satan, tempted them, and then God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. They had children, and their oldest son murdered their second oldest son because he was jealous, and so he was driven away from the people of the earth, and there was a clear distinction between the sons of Cain and the sons of Seth, who was the other son of Adam that we really follow for quite a long time. Seth has children, Cain has children, the earth is populated, but everyone's a terrible, terrible, terrible person, except Seth's descendant, Noah. And God tells Noah to build a big-ass boat because he is going to flood the entire earth and everybody's going to die and all the animals get to go in the boat with Noah and his family and anyone else that wants to come. Well, there could have been a lot more people in the boat, there was totally room, but nobody else wanted to come and so Noah and his family and all the animals end up being on this boat called an ark while the earth is flooded by God and all the people are wiped out. It takes a full year before dry land comes, and when it does, God promises to never, ever wipe out the earth by flood again. And Noah and his family begin to repopulate the earth, and there was a nudie-booty drunken incident, but we're not going to get into that. And this group of people build a city, and then they want to build a big old tower to get all the way into heaven, and God's not super keen on that, so he scrambles their languages, and that's why it's called the Tower of Babel. After the Tower of Babel, there was a guy named Abram. He was born into a family, and he was like a good servant of God. And God was like, Abram, you can't be hanging out with these people. I want you to go to the land. I'll show you. So Abram packs up his stuff and goes, but he brings his nephew, which is not really the right move here. And Abram and his wife, Sarai, were barren. They had no children, and Sarai was totally past the age of bearing children. But God's like, don't worry about it. You're going to have kids. And Sarai's like, maybe God means you're going to have kids, but not I'm going to have kids. So she has Abram sleep with her servant Hagar. They have a son named Ishmael. And then Sarai and Hagar have a bunch of conflicts. Hagar is the first person to name God, the God who sees. And then, da -da -da -da, God shows up again. He renames Abram to Abraham. He renames Sarai to Sarah. And they have a son named Isaac. Isaac is great. This is also around the time the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were wiped out by God. And Abraham's nephew Lot was almost wiped out with them. But thankfully, the angels of the Lord were there to rescue him. But his wife turned into a pillow of salt. And then both of his daughters raped him while he was drunk so that they could have babies. But anyway, back to Abraham. And once again, Sarah is jealous. And God is like, Abram, don't worry about it. Do what Sarah wants. And so Abram sends Ishmael and Hagar out into the desert. But before they die, God rescues both of them. And so Ishmael grows up to be a real pain in the ass, but also a great nation of his own. And then when Isaac is a young man, God calls Abraham to sacrifice him up a mountain. And so they go up this mountain and Isaac's all like, where's the lamb? And Abraham's like, don't worry about it. And then when they get to the top of the mountain, Isaac lays down in the altar. Abraham binds him up. But before he can kill him, God's like, stop. I see you're serious about this. And so Abraham shows his faith in God and Isaac grows up. And after his mother, Sarah dies, Abraham sends one of his servants back to his home area to bring Isaac a wife, and Isaac marries Rebekah, who is the sister of Laban. This will be important in a bit. And so, after Abraham dies, Isaac and Rebekah eventually conceive, after a lot of prayer, because once again, Rebekah was barren, and they have twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau's the older, Jacob's the younger, but... God tells Rebekah that Jacob is going to end up being the one with all the inheritance and all the birthright stuff. Jacob steals the birthright from his brother, well, buys the birthright from his brother for the price of one bowl of stew, and then steals the blessing from his brother by disguising himself in front of his blind dad. And so Esau wants to murder Jacob, and Rebekah sends Jacob away, far away. Jacob ends up going to Laban, where he immediately falls in love with Rachel, and tries to win her hand from Laban by working for him for seven years, but Laban tricks him and ends up giving Jacob the older daughter, Leah. And then Jacob's like, what the heck? And Laban's like, fine, you can have both of them as long as you work for me for another seven years. 
Oh, and you fulfill the honeymoon week. So now Jacob is married to two sisters, Rachel and Leah, together between Rachel, Leah, and one servant per daughter of Laban. Jacob has 11 sons. During all this time, Laban is trying to rip off Jacob, but God keeps blessing Jacob. And finally, God tells Jacob that he can go back home. He reunites with Esau, but he doesn't actually get all the way home. And because of it, his only daughter is raped by a man named Shechem, and there's a city named after him. And long story short, the sons of Jacob kill all the men in Shechem because of what they did, well, what one of them did. And Rachel, who was still totally Jacob's favorite, had one more son named Benjamin, but she died in childbirth. Joseph, Rachel's other son, was definitely, definitely Jacob's favorite. And Jacob at this point has wrestled with God and been utterly defeated, which was sort of a victory in its own way, and has been renamed Israel. But anyway, Joseph is kind of a little stuck-up brat, and so his brothers throw him in a well. They're thinking about killing him, and then they end up selling him into slavery in Egypt, where Joseph twice rises to the top of ranks before finally, by interpreting some dreams, rises to the rank of second most powerful man in Egypt, just in time for a huge famine that had been predicted by God through a dream of pharaohs that was interpreted by Joseph. And eventually, the brothers, Joseph's brothers, Roll up to Egypt, and long story short, they end up reconciling and moving into Egypt because this famine is going to be a long, long time. 400 years pass, and during that time, a new pharaoh rises to power who does not know about the story of Jacob's family, and he enslaves the Israelites. There's a musical, wait, that's the prince of Egypt. Never mind. Anyway, the pharaoh orders that all male babies born within a certain time frame in the Hebrew settlement be killed, but... A mother sends her son down the Nile River, and he is picked up by the Pharaoh's sister. So now, this Hebrew kid is being raised in the Pharaoh's court. He eventually finds out he is Hebrew. By the way, his name is Moses. And he kills an Egyptian who's beating a Hebrew and ends up running away from Egypt. He ends up marrying a woman named Zipporah, who is the daughter of a priest of God. And he ends up meeting God on Mount Sinai in the burning bush. He goes back to Egypt, liberates his people after sending 10 plagues from God against the Pharaoh, culminating in Pharaoh still chasing them across a small, large body of water, which God had parted with his hand. And then as soon as they got into it, the Egyptians, not the Hebrews, the Hebrews were safely across. God closed again. And then they go to Mount Sinai, where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and the people of Israel start to show their complete incapacity for consistency, at least as portrayed in the Old Testament. And they keep messing up until God is so fed up, he's like, you know what, none of you get to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land I promised Abraham. Not one of you, except for Caleb and Joshua. They're great. Not you either, Moses. You screwed up on the way. And eventually, Caleb and Joshua get to lead a whole new generation, 40 years later, into Canaan, where they begin a semi-successful military campaign. And then after Caleb and Joshua die, there are a bunch of judges who kind of take care of Israel, but not such a great job. They keep falling into idol worship and then into the hands of people who worship idols because they keep abandoning God. That's where we get the entire book of Judges. After that, Israel cries out for a king, and a king comes in the form of tall, dark, and handsome King Saul, but he kind of sucks, and so God's like, I'm done with you. And so Samuel, the same prophet who anointed Saul and also the last judge of Israel, has to anoint the new king, David, who is the grandson of Ruth. We had a whole episode about her. And David's a great king, the best king, but he totally screws up several times. Anyway, his son Solomon builds the temple before God, but Solomon also is kind of sketchy near the end of his life. And so the country is divided into, into Israel with 10 tribes and Judah with two. Israel 
slides real far, real fast, and stays down at the bottom. Judah's kind of up and down, but eventually both of them end up in exile, and that is where we get to the beginning of the episode. God is still showing up and being consistent and doing miracles and rescuing his people, and people are still people. And ultimately, there's going to only be one single solution. God himself is going to have to come on the scene. Because this isn't an issue of kingdoms or people invading Israel or anything like that. This is the fact that people in the garden rebelled way back when. As it will be later put by the Apostle Paul, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and it would have to be taken back out of the world. And death would have to be conquered by another man, a descendant of Adam, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of King David. His name was Yeshua ben Joseph, but he's more commonly known now as Jesus. There will be a New Testament season of messy scripture, but at the moment, this is where we're going to leave you. If you're just dying to know how Jesus is going to solve this problem, you can start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or wait for new episodes. But for the moment, this is a sign-off from me, telling the stories of the Old Testament, where the scriptures get especially messy. Hey, if the people had to wait 400 years after Malachi and God's silence, y'all can wait for the New Testament just a little longer. I'll catch you then.